Gero Nurses Tales from the Front is made possible thanks to support from the Center for Education and Research on Aging at the University of the Fraser Valley and the Gerontological Nurses Association of British Columbia. Welcome to our third episode of Gero Nurses Tales from the Front. Our guest for this episode is Karen Pickford, who shares with us how she got into Gero Nursing, as well as discussing the issues faced working with older adults in the age of COVID-19. Now here are your hosts, who are pretty sure that just because a coconut has hair and produces milk doesn't mean it's a mammal, Lillian Hung and Shelly Canning. So hello, greetings, and thank you for joining us. I am Lillian Hung the president of GNABC. Hi, I'm Shelley Canning. I'm the president-elect of GNABC. I'm also a nursing prof at the University of the Fraser Valley. This is Juro Nurse, Tales from the Front, where we want to share some inspirational, often innovative, and you know, in- unique stories, experience of our Juro nurses. And today we are really excited to have Karen Pickford as our guest for this episode. Karen is currently the CNE um, on a really busy medical and I believe COVID unit right now in one of the large acute care hospitals um, in the Fraser Valley. And full uh, disclosure, I first met Karen as a student of mine at um, UFB, and I know she's got a really interesting tale to tell, and she's done a lot since I taught her, so I'm really looking forward to this. Wow, how exciting, and I don't know Karen much, so I look forward to learn about your story, so thank you so much for joining us and talk to us about your, your experience as a general nurse. So maybe as a starting point, we'd love to hear about like what brought you to Juro Nursing. Okay, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this. Um, I was really excited about it and Shelly reached out. Um, my experience with older adults, if I really think about it, stems from uh, childhood. So my mom... Um, had to return to work when I was six weeks old. So the first three years of my life, um, my great-grandparents were my day-to-day caregivers, essentially. They looked after me. And so I learned to talk at a really young age, and I was always very comfortable with older adults. Um, We have a tight-knit family, and my uh, great-grandparents and my grandparents lived in the same household. So I just was really comfortable with older adults. Um, My first sort of experience outside of the family with older adults happened when I was about 15. I was at school and the teachers announced that there was this program at the local Chilliwack Hospital Extended Care Unit for candy striping. And it was a volunteer opportunity and I thought, hey, why not? a few of my friends and myself, we started taking a city bus after school and we'd go down to the hospital. And in those days, um, candy stripers, they were called, we were allowed to feed the older adults who had trouble eating. Can you believe that with very little training? And so- I can believe that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it was a great experience. And I met this lovely lady who had dementia and we really had a, quite a connection. It was fabulous. And then from there, um, I actually didn't go into nursing. I, I, that was never, um, a career path that I thought I would take. I went into tourism, something totally different. And then I pursued nursing in my, uh, in my thirties actually. And my first job was in the extended care unit that I had volunteered at when I was 15. And I worked in medicine, um, but always gravitated to that older adult um, population. It's just where I felt the most comfortable, the most rewarding nursing experiences, and yeah, never really uh, had a second thought about that working with that population. So Karen, I know when you came back to UFV, you had started as an LPN. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious about what, what, where you thought becoming an RN was going to take you in the Gero field. What was, what was your goal there? Well, you know, um, as an LPN, I started that in 2009. Um, and yeah, like I say, I worked in at an extended care unit and in medicine. And from, I did that for about two and a half, three years. And then I transitioned into home health and specifically uh, care and discharge planning. And I really, really loved that position, Um, getting involved and seeing um, what the challenges were when older adults come to acute care. Um, And then having the experience of being a home care nurse in the community, but also the experience of being an acute care nurse, I I could see those two worlds together and then where the older adults uh, kind of fit and what their challenges were being in acute care, but then also transitioning back home. So uh, that work was really rewarding, but limited as a practical nurse. Mm. Um, And I thought, I just want to be able to do more. And I want to, um, in some way, expand into like more leadership skills. And I was able to do that as an RN quite quickly, which was very cool. Yeah. Wow, very interesting, like acute home health. But this, I can't help you ask about this, like candy stripers and what is it? And then you, you mentioned about feeling comfortable working with older adults and then it's very rewarding, like mm-hmm. helping older people when at a very young age to eat being uh, candy stripers. Like tell us a little bit about that. What is it? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then when I tell my kids about this, they, they are just blown away. They're like, well, mom, can, is that something we could do? But my goodness, like now people have to have swallowing assessments. It's got to be very clearly documented. You know, nurses are doing bedside swallow. Like it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating that they would allow 15, 16 year olds to just go ahead and 
and feed pureed food to older adults in wheelchairs and in beds uh, with no, no training at all, just. But how, how did those older people uh, like having younger people to come to help them to eat? Oh my goodness. I think that any way we can, we can bring the experiences of younger children with, and animals actually with older adults, it's a beautiful thing. I would look forward to my Monday after school trips because they would tell stories. They would ask me about my school work and things that, you know, I was learning at school um, about my life. Just seeing them light up when we would come. Yeah, it gives it gives them um, it gives them purpose, right? And to share their stories with us. You know, it was great. You came to me um, early in your RN education. So the LPN, the licensed practical nurse, that that education for you would have been a, a, probably a one-year preparation at that point? Yes, it was. Yeah. And, and now that's been increased to two years and, and folks with an LPN um, educational background can in um, some institutions, they can bridge in and get you graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing after you, you came to UFB and, and then became an RN. But, but you came to me really early and you were interested in doing some research and the candy striper experience, that kind of thinking about the risks that we allow older people to live with and kind of how protective we are of them. You were interested in those health risks and perceptions that older people had even then because that was kind of the premise of your research, right? Yeah, that's right. Maybe can yeah, you share a bit about that study you did? Because that was really interesting. Yeah. So that's something we, we partnered with. Um, and I will forever be grateful for your guidance through that whole process. It was such an incredible experience to learn about research and then having the opportunity to, to do that with um, my favorite population. So, um, yeah, it was. It was a while ago now. But um yeah, it's the really we looked at the perception of um, health risks and what it what it is from the perspective of an older adult versus um, nursing students, and and there were some common themes, but I think the most interesting thing is that the older adults really um, they viewed that their health risks uh, from. It was, emo it was a more emotionally um, driven. So their supports, um, their families, their friendships, um, they perceived, you know, any, a decline in that area as, as more damaging to their health than anything else, despite having um, some serious health problems, you know? Um, and then on the flip side, yeah, as healthcare professionals, nursing students, a lot of uh, what we feel are risks to an older adult's health stem from maybe 
resources or connection to the healthcare system, not necessarily friendships and spouses and children. So that was really interesting. And I'm still really interested in that area. Um, and I find it fascinating too, right now with the pandemic, when we see older adults in acute care facilities that because of um, the lack of system uh, resources and actual nurses in, this, in the setting of acute care, um, families still, they're not making the connection that being an inpatient, there's some real risks associated with that. So um, how, did that, um, how did that research that you did and um, change or did not change your, your practice? Especially when you talk about in acute care, like it is mm -hmm. very problematic. Like when you think about, you know, assumptions that we have about frail old adults, like including them in decision-making. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't do really well about that, do we? Right. I feel like it um, really supported my practice. You know, I struggled. I struggled in the area of nursing um, when I would always go back to what did the... What does this patient want? I understand what their family wants. I understand where the physician sees them um, maybe exceeding um, the ability to live at home. But what does the patient want? What does this older adult want? And I, I really felt like I went up against a lot of other disciplines in the healthcare setting and sometimes family members to advocate for what the, what the ultimate goal was for that patient. And so the learning this and seeing that, you know, through the research, yeah, you know, they, it is, it is what they want and how they want to live. Because at the end of the day, if you take somebody from their home and you place them in an extended care unit where they are, leaving their family members, their spouse of 50 years, they identify that as more damaging for their health than anything. And we, I, I think that we see that. We see people transitioning to care homes and not doing well. So that, that advocacy, that listening to the, the voice of the older person and trying to meet their needs, not the system's need or staff's needs. Do you see it quite differently? You've worked in, in long-term care right, in an extended care setting, and now you're working supporting older adults and other medical patients. Mm -hmm. how, how easy is it to really listen to the voice and support those voices? Well... Like that must be a, a real challenge for yeah. nurses, particularly today, you, you know, with, with the pandemic, um, yeah. it's changed everything. It has. And I think um, a big component to it is not having the, the time at the bedside. So the nurse sees the patient as they are sitting in a hospital bed in hospital clothing um, and not seeing the bigger picture, not seeing who they are outside of this building, 
um, and the supports that they may already have. And so it's very easy for nurses to get that snapshot of the patient as they see them and then make, make inferences about how they should be living or what their discharge plan should look like. So I'm imagining that, you know, with the, during the COVID pandemic and that probably make these challenges even a lot worse. And the nurses were told, you know, to limit the time that they spend with the patients that who may have COVID uh, to reduce their own risk and short staff. Like, I wonder if you could share a story that like during the pandemic that, that really influenced uh, mm-hmm. you or uh, really um, affected you emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I came in at the beginning of the fourth wave. I was doing um, some different work in the community for the last year, like from March 2020 until um, May of 2021. So I was doing some COVID testing and immunization. So I entered back into acute care and specifically the um, medical unit and the acute care for elderly ward um, when our numbers were decreasing. And my goodness, in the last two weeks, it's just blown up. So I've I've heard the stories. I can't say that myself personally, I've been able to connect with patients on that level. As an educator, I'm a little bit more removed and actually I'm I'm actually quite longing for that patient connection again. Um, But I've heard the stories and I think most notable is those older adults that come in with COVID and we were not allowing visitors. And so suddenly their, their world just shrinks. And we're caring for them and we're meeting their, their medical needs. Sure, we're monitoring them, we're giving them medications, helping to bathe them, but really not meeting those, um, the needs of their um, emotional and psychosocial health. So um, there were some patients that um, passed away, you know, without family present and that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it must be heartbreaking. And um, I heard that um, when a person uh, moved to a facility or moved to a new, um, new site, they have to be quarantined in their room for 14 days. I'm just thinking about our folks with dementia, like it will be yeah. for them to comprehend what's going on, right? And yeah, not like this, yeah. 14 days is a very long time in one room. Yeah, that's right. And and if, you know, I can say you do get a bit of a moral uh, distress there for those older adults that have hearing impairments and we're wearing our masks and you so badly wanna just pull your mask down so they can lip read, but knowing that it's not good for their health for us to do that, nor is it good for our own. So that's a struggle too. Yeah, there's there's so many, 
competing factors that that are are driving decisions and practice right now. Um, it's it's got to be super challenging at the bedside. I'm I'm thinking about the role of geral nurses and how often we think of that role just in long-term care only, or um, we we don't always think about it in terms of acute care. And yet we know that the hospital is is full of older people and, and people living with dementia. How challenging is it to really enact the skills that you have as a GERO nurse in an acute setting? Mm. Well, or how important is it to, to like, you know, do we need more GERO nurses in acute? Oh my goodness, without a doubt we do, without a doubt. You know, we, um, I'm the educator for the acute care for elderly unit and we really see those nurses. We have some fantastic nurses and they're there because they love older adults and they're great with them. The nursing shortage that we're seeing um, has impacted sort of the initiatives and the programs that we can offer on our ACE units because we don't have the staff to fill the positions. So we're getting floated nurses. So we're getting nurses from different areas, oncology, surgical, ICU. We're getting any nurses that we possibly can to, to pick up in on our units. And, and it truly is a skill set to be able to um, assess an older adult properly and be able to identify things that um, maybe aren't as obvious. The communication style is different as well. So, you know, I definitely think that gerontology is a specialty. And it is, I mean, ideally post-pandemic, I cannot wait to do some really good in-services on older adult health for staff and to support them in doing assessments and just ways that we can improve their stay and improve their health. Um, yeah, I've sent out little tips and tricks via emails, but I mean, right now nurses don't even have time to check their emails. Has there been any really positive things that you've seen happen at the bedside? You know, right now we know everything is, is so challenging and we've got lack of resources, lack of time, lack of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you seen some, some evidence where, where things have just kind of all gone right despite everything else? Yes, I definitely would say we have to focus on the on the small wins, right? Whatever they may be. So we have a great patient care coordinator on our ACE unit, and she um, was really, really adamant about getting our dining room set back up. And so she was very persistent with infection control and working with that team on how can we um, how can we reopen this lounge? Like, how can we get 
people out of their beds and sitting at a table safely and still following infection control. So for a little small period of time there, we were able to facilitate. Um, we had six seats in the dining room. And so we have to celebrate those wins, right? Um, yeah, just we look at our long stay patients and I think that all of the disciplines are more engaged with discharge planning because we recognize that we need, we need to get them back into their homes as soon as possible, right? As soon as they're medically able. Uh, so we do, we have a lot more engagement with um, our therapists and that's, that's a positive, right? I think if, if we can all um, see and understand that these patients often do much better in their home than in the hospital. Right. Um, yeah, that's what we look at. So you talked about um, like uh, setting up the dining room for the patients to come together to eat. Why would that be so important? And then can you tell a little bit about us about the ACE unit that you are working in? Oh. Like, do people like have individual rooms? Like, what mm. the environment look like for the older person to be in on the ACE unit? Well, the ACE unit is designed um, for older adults. And so we do have some single rooms and also multi, multi bedrooms. The whole idea is to um, promote the style of uh, living that they're used to in a hospital setting. So that would be um, getting them up, having them eat out, not in the beds, but in a, in a shared dining room setting. Um, and just doing that, we know that if we can get them to the dining room for their meals, they're going to get up at least three times a day to walk back and forth. Uh, we know that patients will lose their 10% of their muscle mass over the course of a weekend if they're laying in bed and not actively moving. And mm. their older adults are at higher risk of resp respiratory if they're laying in bed. So, um, you know, that is so important. We, there are different initiatives that have been put on hold um, because of covid uh, but we do still have a geriatrician who visits the unit and is part of the unit and care planning and looking at the patient's medical needs. And we have a, a high um, involvement from the social work team as well. So those are some benefits of um, being on the acute care for elderly unit. So it's... Um... It's the, the team that who seem to have a better understanding about the older adults' needs and have access to the geriatrician. Yeah. And, uh, exactly. yeah. yeah. And knowing the tricks that uh, to get people to mobilize the dining room <laughs> so exactly. they use their muscle. Yeah, and we do have a beautiful lounge, a TV lounge with um, lovely large windows so they can sit in the lounge and look outside and look at the trees and the ducks that we have uh, or watch television if that's something that they'd like. So like I say, COVID has impacted this quite a bit, but I'm already imagining 
the world post COVID. And I'm really hoping we can get back to um, focusing on some good, good initiatives for our older adults on the ACE unit. So, sorry, I got to ask this one. (laughs) Go ahead, ahead, Lillian. So, so Karen, what about those uh, patients that that if they, like you said, the COVID impacted them a lot, like, Mm-hmm. Uh, like in what ways um, is it because that they are not allowed to come into the dining room to eat or, or is it like what like what happened well it's that but it's also the capacity issues in our hospital right now um, we just we just are so jam-packed our our beds um, that we don't we're trying to create extra bed space for our older adults in the hospital. So some of our rooms are doubled up. Some of our lounge areas are occupied by patients on stretchers. So that is, that is a problem. It's a problem for our patients and it's a problem for our nurses that care for our patients. And we're really, I can't say this enough, but we're struggling. Really, really, like there's, it's creating a ton of moral distress from our nurses, yeah. So the nurses are, are not, even those of you that have great GERO skills, you're not really able to put them all into practice the way you'd like to because the environment and the resources just aren't there. That's absolutely it. Yeah. And, you know, as nurses, we want to check everything off our to-do list, right? We want to leave our shift knowing that we've done our best for these patients and we've provided appropriate, adequate care, the care that they deserve. And there are many days, many shifts where our nurses are in tears, where they are feeling like they are not able to provide the care that these people deserve because of staffing shortages, um, because of extra patients on the unit. So our nurse patient ratios, which should be four to five patients per nurse are sitting at six, seven, eight sometimes per nurse. There's just not enough hours in the day. So do you think nurses are leaving because of the um, of this? Their staffing ratio is so high and the moral distress. Do you think nurses are leaving the work because I, of that? Yes, I do. And I, I think it, it has to do with pandemic fatigue as well. So our capacity to cope with... Um, stress in the workplace is reduced compared to what it was pre-pandemic. So it's not, it's not a new thing to have increased patient load. We've had that ongoing for years. The difference is, is that the last year and a half has been really tough. Mm-hmm. So it's pushing us over the edge. Um, we have had postings out there for full-time positions with not one single applicant so so that 
that resilience and that special GERO knowledge that would be so helpful for nurses to have. What Lillian and I both are professors teaching in nursing programs here. So is, is there something that we could do to better prepare? I know you already came into the role with a strong nursing background and a passion for older adults, but what could help our new, our, our grads, our new nurses that, that we could focus on maybe? I really think it's important for nurses to look inward and really develop an insight and be very transparent about the populations that they want to work with. Because I think there's nothing more disheartening than a nurse showing up to work on a unit with older adults and have them be impatient, rude, abrupt. And I'm not saying that happens often, but I just think that um, it's just identifying who they are and what their capacity is and really um, if it's not your thing, please don't take a position. And, and I, I say that because um, I just know I would rather I would rather work harder with an increased load than work alongside somebody who doesn't want to be there, who doesn't want to work with that population, who um, has no interest in developing the skill set. Being a nurse you learn a lot about yourself, mm -hmm. especially if you do take that time to, to look inward. Um, I, I think I learned way more about myself and ab about everybody else through being a nurse. Um, to me, it's, it's part of the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I can totally see what you, you're thinking there. Um, Thinking, though, about some of these challenges, is there, is there a role for administration? Is there, is there some, some fixes that could help in the short term? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think a lot about this. Um, we have... It's, it's been tough. It's been really tough over the pandemic in every area of nursing. I think if we're looking at um, how can we improve healthcare for patients in the hospital, like what can we do from a nursing perspective? It's like let's, say, let's say you have the magic wand. So what would be the top three things that, that you would do? <laughs> top three top she might three. hire you and I Lillian <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Number one, eh? um, I think it's opening up more seats in nursing in nursing programs definitely um, I think and specifically opening up more seats in programs for LPNs 
who want to become registered nurses. Yeah. Yeah, because they're already nurses and they already know that's what they want and they already want to be there. But it's incredibly frustrating to have to wait years and compete for a few, just a few seats, right? So that's, that's one thing, increased capacity in that way. I mean, yeah, we just, at the end of the day, we just need more nurses. We do. Yeah. Reaching out to the high schools, I think, and promoting nursing education and programs. Um, Getting more candy Pardon me? Getting more candy stripers? Yeah, more candy stripers, exactly. (laughs) And I'm going to say more general education in our nursing programs, because for me, I think often nurses are learning about older people, but they're not making that connection. They're thinking they're learning only about a surgical patient or a medical patient. At the heart, it's an older person. I agree with that definitely, because majority of the patients we have on our units, our medical units, are over the age 75, right? So, yeah, definitely more education um, about the older adult um, is beneficial. And addressing things like ageism, you know, um, I still am baffled when I see nurses talking super loud or, or simplifying the language when they're speaking with somebody older who doesn't have hearing impairments and is sharp as a tack. That, those types of things, right? Those communication strategies, a little bit more focus on that. Calling older adults dear and sweetheart and things like that drives me crazy. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's still more work to be done. And those are things that, you know, you learn throughout the program and maybe, maybe you, you'll learn more in a practice setting yeah. with your peers. Good role models like you, yeah. Karen. Well, <laughs> well. They're lucky to have you. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I just wish that I could do more of the work right now, you know? Um, yeah. It, it's listening to you saying that we need more nurses and we need more general nurses. Mm-hmm. But how can we get more people interested in general nursing and get more people come? to study nursing? Well, I think, uh, I think GNABC is a good start, right? Um, I think that we definitely should be promoting uh, nursing specialty education. And I would love to see Fraser Health um, fund registered nurses Uh, to take a specialty program in gerontology. We have one for renal, we have it for oncology, pediatrics, maternity, but we don't have one um, funding opportunities for a specialty in gerontology. Okay, Lillian, we've got, we've got work to do. 
Yeah, <laughs> we got to find ways to recruit nurses. Yeah. So um, I, we would really like to thank you, Karen, for mm -hmm. taking the time to come to talk with us. Um, is there anything else that you would, you would like to tell us that we didn't ask you? Oh. No, I think, well, first of all, thank you again for, for having me. Um, but I guess I just do want to say that not all uh, GERO nurses are in long-term care um, or in home health. Um, we, have, we have some great nurses in emergency departments. We have them in on the surgical units. We have them hidden in each um, specialty area, which I think is fantastic because we still see that demographic in all these different um, areas as well. So I don't know, I think um, just, shedding a light on that as well, that you can be a great GERO nurse in different areas, not necessarily an acute care for elderly unit, but you can be a great GERO nurse in um, BC Cancer Agency. So it's just tapping into what people want and getting them in the right, in the right area, um, much like we get our patients like to play, get them uh, in the right area, right? Whether that's home or supported housing. Awesome. Yeah. Totally agree. Thanks so much, Karen. And we'd thank like you. to thank everybody who's out there for taking the time to listen. And if you can think of someone that we should be chatting with on an upcoming episode of Gero Nurses, just email us at lillian.hung at ubc.ca or shelly.canning at ufv.ca. Well, so until our next episode, we hope you all stay safe, stay healthy, and remember, laughter isn't the best medicine, medicine is. So talk to you soon again. And that's the show.